Hey, good morning, Genie Faith Center. This is Pastor Cooper. We are currently in our series, Pro Tips for Living Well, a study in the book of Proverbs. And we thought, let's do some real life hashtag pro tips that we have discovered, things that we think will just really make life a little bit easier. Let's take a look. Is life busy? Having a hard time finding time to read your Bible? Hashtag pro tip. Get your smartphone, get a Bible, take a picture, post it on your social media. It doesn't matter if you've read it or not. Just post it and put like hashtag blessed on it. People will think you are a biblical scholar. Pro tip. Maybe you don't know every word to the worship songs we're singing here at church. Pro tip. Just say the word like faith, Jesus, or like whoa. You'll fit right in because 95% of the time, that word will be sung somewhere in that song. Do you need to pass some gas, but you don't want to make a scene? Pro tip, grab a baby, hold the baby, just blame it on them. It works every time. Thank you for watching another episode of Pro Tips with Pastor Cooper. This is the part of the service where you will now actually get some actual pro tips from the Bible. Thank you. So every time that Pastor Cooper, I hear him finish those comments, my daughter leans over and says, please don't comment. So <laughs> I can't help myself. I, Cooper's in denial. What he doesn't know yet as a young dad is that no one buys it, that it's the baby. There's certain things that happen to you with age that don't happen to babies. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now we'll get... Sorry, Maddie. I had to do it. Maddie, my daughter Maddie's here with me today. Uh, my wife's in, in San Jose. My son was here at the earlier service. My older daughters are growing and with their families and doing their Jesus thing this morning. But uh, she's been my sidekick since she was little. Um, she'd come to me down to the church when I was a senior pastor, and she'd sit in the church and run around with the wireless mic and entertain herself singing and, and preaching and all those things that you do when you do, uh, and you're insanely intelligent. And so um, <clears throat> she's very comfortable in ministry, and so she, last night she said, oh, Dad, I'll come with you to all three services, and then I can be your helper and whatever you need. So I said, okay, that sounds great. And she's been very helpful, so thank you, sweetheart. Um, I, I'm super excited to be here today because um, this is God's call in my life is to preach. It's to teach. It's to minister. And uh, my friends that were here last hour said, you're still in professor mode, Scott. Loosen up. And you're, still, you're still teaching. You've got to preach a little bit. So I'll try, but my voice is about gone. Fortunately, they gave me smart water. I'm trying not to take that personally, but I feel like they're trying to give me a hint, like smarten up. So um, my family and I moved here from Sacramento about four and a half years ago. Try not to hate us. Um, I, I learned something. When I first got here, people would say, oh, you people from California have no idea how to drive in the snow. Okay, well, we have snow up there, but not like here. Uh, but we have a lot of floods and where I'm from. And so I, I didn't understand the snow reference until last spring when there was a flood downtown in Spokane. And all these people's cars were flooded out. They were stuck on the side of the road because nobody knew how to drive in floodwaters. There's a way to not flood your car out, to drive through floodwaters without sinking in the flood. Anyway, I thought, as I drove through, Maddie and I were going out to Airway Heights to, to, uh, to do our little Bible college we run. We were doing it in, uh, off of Hayford Road last year. And uh, as I'm driving, I was thinking, 
Now I get it. I understand why they say I, I must be in the snow the way they are in the floodwaters because this is really terrible. So I'm sorry. I'm working on it. I'm practicing. And uh, I learned my hardest lesson a couple years ago, which was you have to put weight in the rear end of your two-wheel drive vehicle. Otherwise, you spin out. And so I did that on North Division going up the hill. I spun out, crashed, managed to get out of the way of the cars that were coming down the hill that couldn't stop just in time by God's grace. All right. Anyway, you guys are going to get a different sermon in the first two hours. Got first hour, got the warm-up sermon because uh, I hadn't preached in, uh, in a group this you know in a Sunday morning in five years. I teach all the time, but I hadn't preached in, in five years. So um, they got the warm-up, kicking off the dust, uh, kicking off the rust. Last week they got a little better sermon. So I'm, or last hour, excuse me. So I'm hoping this hour will be the best one. But we'll see. It could go any way. You know, God's in control. I'm just along for the ride. So God bless you, and I hope it works out for you. Okay. Um, so I'm here today because Pastor Mark asked me to be here. Where are you here? You like it. Good answer. Some people are like, well, I, the other churches didn't have 11 o'clock service and I wanted to go to church, so, you know, or, right, or I normally go to the 8 o'clock, but I, my alarm, I slept through it. We all have different reasons uh, why we're here, but this is a bigger question. The why are you here question is bigger than just why are you here. Why do we exist? What is the meaning of life? What's the purpose in all of the stuff that God has called us to? You know, why do we do the things that we do? What does success look like? And how can I be happy in this world? Those are the questions that people have been wrestling with for thousands and thousands of years. They're not new. Now, the Greeks have some answers. The Greeks, we're a lot like Greeks, by the way. Uh, so if, when you, you hear this, you're going to go, oh, I kind of relate to that. That's because when Alexander the Great was trying to conquer the world, he didn't succeed in conquering the world. This would be about 400 years before Christ, 300 years before Christ. But he did succeed in Hellenizing the world, getting his culture into the West. So we are all totally influenced by Greek culture, and we think like Greeks. Come on, girl, preach. Hey, this doesn't bother me at all. I, I'll, I can talk louder than her, so don't take her out of the service. You let her stay in here and keep shouting. Maybe someone will get inspired and yell amen at some point. That'll be cool, too. Because so, the more you shout, the more excited I get. Uh, unless you shout fire, and then I'm running out the door, pushing you out of my way. Out of my way! <laughs> You're laughing because you don't think I can run. That's why I know. <laughs> yeah. When I was a kid, my grandpa was cutting down a tree. We're out in Arkansas. And grandpa, um, right as the tree was cut down, working around my grandpa was dangerous. He never watched out for where you were at. And so it was fun. You took your life out of the old hands. And one time I look out of the corner of my eye and there's this big tree falling right at me. And so my grandpa would always tell the story. He would, and he would laugh so hard. He said, I forgot to yell timber. He, didn't, he caught the tree at the last minute, and he started running. And instead of running this way, he ran that way, because the tree was falling that way. And he goes, boy, you should have seen that fat boy run. He was so fast getting across that field. I've never seen anybody move so fast in my whole life. So I can run, but there has to be a reason, like biscuits. Okay, so, all right. So Plato said, let's get serious now. We're talking Plato, platonic theory philosophy. Plato said, a good life was the result of pursuing higher knowledge and fulfilling one's social obligations towards the common good. Well, that, that sounds about like one of the things that we believe. 
And Socrates, or Socrates for the, for the Bill and Ted fans in here, Socrates, uh, he said, a good life is a happy life. Of course, everyone has a different opinion about what a happy life is, right? For some people, it's wealth. For some people, it's health. For some people, it's having stuff. For some people, it's having freedom. It all depends on how you define it. We're motivated by different things. I always tell my mom, she says, she'll say, uh, you know, you could have been a lawyer. You're so smart, Scotty. She calls me Scotty. No one else gets to do that, but she does. She said, you're so smart, Scotty. You could have been a lawyer or, or a brain surgeon and kind of, like, kind of like, you know, you wasted your life in ministry. Um, I'm like, you know, I'm not motivated by wealth. I'm not motivated by fame. I'm motivated by the things that God, by doing, being obedient to God and serving him. That's what motivates me. That's where my happiness is. So, <clears throat> so we have different meanings of happiness per person. The Stoics, they said, hey, listen, get wisdom and control yourself. Right? So that's why the Stoics, you know, they were kind of like this. If you're, if, you're, if you're standing around like this sometime, people say, why are you so Stoic? And say, I'm on Prozac. No, it's not. I'm actually really happy on the inside, but I can't express it. So I joke, but that, that's a serious matter, but I, I joke about serious things because it helps me cope. Um, the, Stoics are, the Stoics were very uh, uh, controlled, and they were very, they were very much not allow, did not allow themselves to enjoy things in life, at least not outwardly, and they counted that as a meaningful life. And of course, the Epicureans, now these are real Americans. The Epicureans said, hey man, there ain't nothing after this. This is all there is. So feast, party, and live it up, because tomorrow we could die. This is it. Do it all. If you like it, do it. And I find a lot, of, a lot of us in our country, and I'm not obviously bagging on my country. I love America. I served in the military. I, I, be, I believe in my country, but I'm a, I'm a member of God's kingdom first. So I'm on God's team first. My nationality is Christian first, then American. All right. So uh, Barna did a survey. And Barna's, have you guys heard of Barna? He's one of those famous survey guys. He does, and he does kind of like, it's kind of like, uh, well, he's kind of like the top of the game for surveys. And Barnett did a survey, and he surveyed people and asked them what they viewed the value or the meaning or the purpose of life to be. Now, 66% of the people that he interviewed said that they enjoyed themselves, or they found that enjoying themselves was the highest form of life. So if you're having a good time, you're having a good life. 66% of people said that. Um, 76% of people said, well, you know, if you want the answer to that, you have to look inside. To find meaning, look inside yourself, and that's where it'll be. 76% of people said that. Sounds really good. I don't think people really believe that, but they say it. 76% um, also said you should never criticize someone else's life choice. They find their own way. Don't ever say anything to about it. It's their way. And then 72% said to be fulfilled in life, pursue the things you desire most. Here's the problem. Those people that were surveyed were all Christians. 76% of Christians say, if you want to find yourself, look within yourself. But God's word says to find yourself, discover the truth outside of yourself by looking at Jesus, right? See, we look at Jesus and we say, hmm, he was a freak. 
He's 100% God. And I don't mean that in a negative way, but he's 100% God. He's 100% man. And he's living this life that none of us could ever live. He does miracles. He lives outside. He's like, there's not enough food. We'll just multiply the fishes. Man, I've struggled to catch one fish. When I go fishing, the fish are like, woohoo, we're going to eat today, right? Because they know that I'm not catching any of them. It's just me out there getting exercise, casting and reeling and casting and reeling. Okay, uh, all the fishermen are feeling sad for me and lost all respect for me right there, but that's okay. Uh, I do other things well. There's like three I could tell you all about it. Um, but Jesus, Jesus had this life that he lived, and the thing we don't realize is that he's not the freak. We're the freaks. He lived, he's the archetype. He lived the perfect Christian life. He demonstrated to us what life was like and what it should be like for us, walking by faith, being about the Father's business, being able to speak the miraculous, to, to, the, to pray and people are healed, being able to, being on, on ministering as we go throughout our life. You know, even the great, com, uh, the great uh, commission, which says, go into all the world, Right? Baptized, teaching them all I've commanded you. Did you know that it doesn't say that in Greek the way we say it? We say go into the world like it's an imperative. Go, like it's an event. In Greek it says as you're going. In other words, as you're going through life, as you're walking through, along through life, just like Jesus did, baptize folks. Tell them about Jesus. Teach them about Jesus. It's a part of your being, a part of your life. And so if we want to find life, we don't look at ourselves. We look at Jesus. I'm going to get to Proverbs, by the way. Just, we're, we're in, this is my front porch. We'll come in the house in just a minute. And it's warm in there, but not too warm. It's, it's warm because we don't want to waste energy. Okay. Um, to be fulfilled in life, pursue the things you desire most. 72% of Christians said that, but, Christian, but Jesus says, or the, or the Bible says, joy is not found in pursuing our own desires, but in pursuing God and giving ourselves to bless others. That's where real joy is at. And again, going back to the first point, 66% of Christians agreed that enjoy, uh, enjoying yourself is the highest goal in life. But the Bible tells us the highest goal in life is giving glory to God. So the Bible is in direct contradiction with three quarters of those who not just claim to be Christians, but have been tested by Barna and they believe the things that are consistent with being a born-again Christian. That's crazy. Now maybe that applies to you. Maybe you see yourself in some of that. If you're being honest, I can see myself in some of that. That's my knee-jerk reaction to life because we're fallen people. There's no judgment there. I'm not judging you. But we have to recognize that, as it was said earlier in a reference to Philippians, uh, that we are being daily transformed to the image and likeness of Christ. God's not done with us. He's being changing us. and he's, he's changing us. He's making us more like Jesus. It's a process. It's a journey. It's not a one-time event. That's why Paul says, continue working out your salvation. He's not saying, well, you said the prayer, man, you're in. We'll see you in 70 years. He's like, no, 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 no. You turn directions, and now you're walking this way with God. You were walking against God, right? And you mentally realized, hey, man, I, I'm believing the wrong stuff. I, gotta, I have to believe Jesus. And then you emotionally were like, wow, I really feel like I need to change. And then you said, okay, I'm going to change. And you stopped walking this way, and you started walking this way. And then as, and you walk out your salvation as the Lord changes you and transforms you. Well, if you're here today, we know this for sure, that all of you have chosen to become followers of Jesus. You've already had uh, at least partial answers to these things. You've already had at least a partial experience with God. And so we're wanting to go deeper with God. 
We're wanting to find out more. And God has given us the book of Proverbs to give us, as was said earlier, a way to wisdom, a way to make wise decisions, to act in a way that pleases God and glorifies and honors him, to recognize the signs and the symptoms of people around us and to know what to do. I didn't share this earlier, but I got to tell you, when I was at first in ministry, I had some folks in the church that were, I will say, uh, rascally. They were really problematic. And they just wanted to create trouble. You know, they were just broken people. You know, and broken people went around breaking people. And I didn't know what to do. And so the first thing I did was I went to the scripture and I'm looking and I'm praying and a lot of crying, a lot of talking to my wife, a lot of saying, maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. Maybe I'm in the wrong thing. Maybe I didn't hear God. I shouldn't be in ministry. And a lot of that kind of stuff. And I got to a place in Proverbs where it talks about the fool and dealing with the fool. And I realized these people I'm dealing with are fools. And I began to deal with them the way Proverbs describes dealing with a fool. And guess what? They all left. So they didn't respond well to being ignored or having me not give them the answers they wanted. They just left. It, so, the, so this works, man. This is like really, really good, right? Uh, so Proverbs uh, 3 is where we're going to settle in today. We're going to read chapter uh, 3, verses 1 through 12. And then we're going to focus in on verses 3 and 5. But I want to give you the context here. So it says here in verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 1, it says, My son, that doesn't exclude the ladies, this is for you too, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. See, what he's saying is, make this stuff a part of you so that it transforms you. Be changed by God's word. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. That's very low alcohol content wine, just so you know. Don't get crazy. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Let me give you a summary of all of that. And if you want to run out after that, you can because you'll have the the summary, but if you want the meat, you'll have to stick around for another 15, 20 minutes. Here's the summary. If we acknowledge God in every area of life, he will lead us to make wise and right decisions. If we use good judgment, we will not rebel and become bitter when we suffer for our sins. God's chastisement is but the sign of his love. Let me read that again. If we acknowledge God in every area of life, he will lead us to make wise and right decisions. If we use good judgment, we will not rebel and become bitter when we suffer for our sins. His chastisement is but the sign of his love. Verse 5 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. It seems pretty obvious, doesn't it? 
But when we read something, we bring our own emotions, our own feelings, our own experiences to the words. So we have things that are tied up with the word trust. We have things that are tied up with the word understanding. And what does it mean to lean? All of those things are influenced by our experiences. And everything in here in the Bible, it's written into a culture and a context. So our journey to understanding first begins with the culture and the context what does it mean to them? And then we can figure out what it means to us. Usually we just jump right to what does it mean to me? And usually that works, but sometimes it can lead you way off. And sometimes it can rob you from deep, rich, powerful treasures that God has for you in his word. So let's take a look at this. Israel, you see, had a history. Israel had a past. And their past was unfaithfulness to God. They were often divided between following God the way he wanted to be followed and following the ways of the world, which at that time was idolatry, right? At that time, they had, there was a worldview that was through all of the ancient Near East, well, all of the world, pretty much as far as we know, there was a spiritual world and then there was a material world. And the spiritual world and the material world had a one-to-one correlation so that anything that you did to something in the physical world affected its corollary in the spiritual world. So that's why the king was called the son of God, because the king was the, was the direct representation of the highest God in whatever their pantheon of gods was. Okay? So now, if I want to affect the gods, let's say Uncle Bill dies. Uncle Bill was a rascally guy too. Uncle Bill dies. He's now in the spirit world, and I need his help. Uncle Bill, I need you to help me get some things done. So what I do is I get a piece of wood, I hammer some gold and some, and some silver on it, or maybe I carve it. Now, I know that's not Uncle Bill. I'm not stupid. Okay, but in my worldview, I can take this little statue, set it down, and I can do things to this statue, and it's the same as doing it to Uncle Bill in the spiritual world. So Uncle Bill needs a little, I figure he probably needs some cash to bribe some folks up there, because things work the same way up there, kind of. So I take some money and I burn it, light it up and send it up in smoke to the spirit world for Uncle Bill. Maybe I put some fruit there, some things, maybe you've seen those things in Chinese restaurants when they have the incense burning and the fruit and stuff. That's what they're doing. That's mythological worldview. They're they're sacrificing to their ancestors, providing for them in the afterlife. So that's how they understood the world. So the problem was is that the idols give you a false sense of control. And because they had that sense of control, they had a really hard time leaving the idols and going to God. Now, I don't want to get to meddling here. I, I know I may offend somebody here, but, but I just need to point this out. In America, we have idols. American Idol, I'll call it. <laughs> that was low-hanging fruit. I just had to make the joke. I, I, I couldn't help myself. Um, American Idol. And so the American Idols are things like, you need to look the right way and dress the right way. We don't have that art idol in the Northwest, which I'm very happy about. But, but, it, but I have to tell you, there are places where I've lived where people spend hours and hours and hours getting ready and trying, and, and oh, it's just a nightmare. And up here, it's like, do you have functional shoes that are going to keep your feet dry? And do you have something that's going to keep you warm, but you want to take it off in case it gets too warm outside? I'm like, I love these people. I love you guys. I love the way it's so... So I thought California was casual. They are so formal compared to Spokane and the Spokane area. I love it. I'm just so at home. I feel happy. You give me joy. Um, so I'm still working on the snow thing, Troy. I'm just going to tell you, brother, I'm not there yet, but, uh, um, but I'm getting there. It looks nice when it first falls and everything's all white and pretty, but then it all turns like yucky colors. I'm like, I don't want to see that. Could it rain, Lord? 
um, or give us more snow to cover it up. By the way, it's how righteousness works, right? The Lord's righteousness just covers us. And we look all beautiful underneath, big old pile of whatever. Um, so we have our things, look right, act right, feel right, have the right stuff, do the right thing. Those are the American idols. You know, we, sometimes we call it the American dream. It's really an idol. And we want to bring people here and make sure they can have the American dream too. Come worship our idols. They're amazing. And they give us a sense of control because if you have your retirement set aside and you have the right income coming in and you have residuals and maybe you have a rental house and you've got the right clothes and you have an investment and you feel like I'm in control, you're not in control. Can I tell you something? Younger people, when you start getting in your 40s and 50s and 60s, you watch your friends who worked their whole life and saved money give it all to a hospital in copays because they got cancer at 55. That's the truth. You don't have control. We don't have control. It is an illusion. God is the only one in control. And that's the answer to verse three, uh, chapter 3, verse 5, is this. God is in control. Amen? So our list of things that we put our trust in is a list of one, and it's God. And that's it. Oh, I feel the preacher starting to come out a little bit. Okay. We'll see what happens. I don't know. It could get crazy. Just be ready. <laughs> um, I was raised Church of Christ, by the way. No spiritual gifts, no music in the church. I went into ministry in a, in a Christian church, which they actually, that movement came from the Northwest. That was Church of Christ that said, oh, the piano's not so bad. And maybe you could be saved if you're not baptized, but you should do it right away. But if you don't, you're going to be saved. So I was moved into that group, and that was very liberal to me. First time I went to one of their services, there was an electric guitar on stage, and I was like, yeah, they're all going to hell. It was, like, <laughs> it was, it was hard for me. So when I, went into, when I went into ministry, I had no education, no training. I had never read the Bible cover to cover, uh, true story. And the Lord sends me into ministry. And so I'm looking for a Bible college and someplace to get some training. And our church had helped start a Bible college. It's now a university. And I was trying to get, can you give me a discount? I don't have any money. I'm making 200 bucks a week as a pastor. You know, can you help me out? No, sorry, we can't do anything like that. So my wife, I married a good old Pentecostal girl. And her pastor that she grew up under was uh, from Spokane. He's a very well-known, amazing man of God in, uh, in a non-denominational Pentecostal movement. And uh, his name is Ernest Gentile. And, and Pastor Gentile uh, influenced my, my wife well. So my wife, in all the early years of our marriage, while I mocked Pentecostals, made fun of their gold thrones and their pink hair, that's what I thought it all was. I thought it was barking dogs and feathers and gold dust and stuff. I had no clue what it really was. And so, my, yeah, feel free to laugh because I was pretty foolish. And my wife goes, you laugh, but there are some powerful people praying for you, and someday you're going to get baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it's not going to be so funny anymore. <laughs> right. That'll be the day. I wrote for the, I'll vote for the Raiders in that day, too. And so... <laughs> So anyway, um, she gets me in this Bible college, there, and it's just up the road from our house, which is pretty miraculous. It's the only real actual Bible college in the region. And I, I start school. First class, I've got a woman teacher. I was like, okay, Lord, you're stretching me. It's okay, because I was raised women don't speak in church. You're stretching me, Lord. First class is the book of Acts. How fast do you think we got into Acts chapter 2? And now I'm reading this stuff, and I'm going, wow, Lord. I have a problem because these people are really like smart and they know stuff and their theologies, it makes a lot of sense. And this lady that's teaching me, she's a godly woman and I, just, I can't just have a hard time seeing that she's out of your will and I'm really struggling. Is there something more? If there is, I want it. Well, I, have, I wasn't in 
school two months and I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and my life was completely changed and I had to eat a lot of crow but the people that I made fun of were very kind to me in the, in the wake of that. Uh, and so, and so uh, um, you know, God, God is in control of all of those things and the more I've grown, the more I've learned to trust in him through those processes. God is also the arbiter of truth, right and wrong and he's arbiter of everything. So we tend to only follow God's guidance when it agrees with human logic. You tell people, you need to be militant about being grateful. By the way, my buddy has a book coming out called Militant Thankfulness. It's awesome. You'll see a link on my website, uh, missionaryprofessor.com. It's a great book, easy to read. You should get it. Um, You need to be militant about being thankful. And we say, I don't know. Should I? I don't know. But then Oprah says, you need to practice Thanksgiving because it's been shown to change your life. And suddenly everybody's like, oh, I'm just trying so hard to be thankful. I'm just trying to be grateful because Oprah said it, right? And maybe, I don't know, maybe she heard it from God himself. I don't know. You know, she was, you know when God was making everything, Oprah was there, you know, uh, he's consulting with her. So she's like, I can make you a break, you got. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I got a man elected president. Um, so... We'd rather listen to our own hearts and our own minds and the ideas of our friends, the ideas of Oprah or Dr. Oz or Deepak Chopra or or Dr. Phil or whoever the the newest guru is. We want to listen to them, but we don't want to listen to the Word of God. We don't want to listen to God in the matters. But it says, lean not on your your own understanding here in the Scripture. Well, God's not telling us don't be wise, don't learn, don't use your brain, don't use your heart, don't get good counsel. I mean, that's the whole purpose of this series, right? That's the purpose of the book of Proverbs. He's not telling us that. But what he is telling us is, let me be the final judge on everything. Come to me first before you make a final decision, because you might get it wrong. See, the Bible tells us that there's good counsel, there's good wisdom in counsel. Proverbs 11, 14, 15, 22. The Bible also warns us that there's a way that seems right to a man, but at the end it leads to death. Proverbs 14, 12 and 16, 25. But the good news is God knows your heart. He knows what your intentions are. In fact, Jeremiah speaks about this, and he says it like this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, that's great. So now my heart's messed up too, and it's wicked, and God knows all about it. Now, you might think that's bad news, but that's actually really good news. It's actually really good news because you don't have to fake it with God anymore. You are free from this moment forward. If you weren't free already, I am setting you free by God's word to be real with God. Lord, I'm really mad that I've been trying so hard for that promotion and Joe got it, Bill got it, because Bill's a bad guy. Bill got it, and I don't know why Bill got it, but I'm mad about it and I'm jealous and I know I shouldn't be and I know it's ugly, but I am. Lord, help me work through this and forgive it. See, we hide that stuff from God because we think I shouldn't be that way. I need to be a perfect Christian around God. He sees your heart, family. He reads your mind. The devil can't, but God does. He knows exactly what you're thinking. You don't have to hide anymore. You can just talk to him. Be real about it. That sin that, that, that you struggle with in the darkness, or metaphorical or literal darkness, whatever it is, the thing you hold inside that you're ashamed of, you can speak it out loud to God. He will not be shocked because he was there for all of it. And you can be free from that, at least free from the guilt. And you can repent. And you know what? You might stumble again. You might fall again. You might mess up again. But guess what? You can repent again. Receive God's forgiveness. 
bring it out in the light, and I can promise you this, in time, maybe not the first time, but in time, that thing will lose power over you, whatever it is, and you will experience freedom like you've never had before, and you will learn to walk in the grace of God's forgiveness just by practicing it. You'll be set completely free by this God who can read your mind. So what God's saying in this first verse is this. Hold my hand. This sermon's getting longer every time, by the way. I gotta, I gotta have to think about how I'm gonna... If there was a fourth service, it'd be two hours long. Um, so, wait, there is no. What God's saying in the first verse is this. Hold my hand as tight as you can. Don't let go no matter what. No matter what. He's saying, use all the things I've taught you, but make great decisions and do the good and wise thing. But, and this is a big but, B-U-T, talk to me before you make my, the final move. Consult the scholars. Consult your culture. Look at you, talk to your friends. Look, listen to your brain. Listen to your heart. But God says, if they seem inconsistent with my character, if they're out of line with my word, if you didn't see Jesus supporting something like that, don't do it again. Don't just, just don't do it. God said, give me the final word. Let me have the final say. Sometimes I'm going to say, just go. Sometimes I'm going to be silent. Sometimes I'm going to tell you, don't do that. Listen to me then. And 3 verse 6 is shorter, but it's really similar in that we need to recognize the word all. You know, it says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. Our natural inclination is to acknowledge God on Sunday, to acknowledge him in our formal worship services, to acknowledge him when a baby's born, when we have a big purchase to make or a hard decision to make, and the rest of the stuff we count ourselves. Think of it like tithing. When we tithe, and, and check yourself, because God totally wrecked me on this about a month ago. I mean, just wrecked my heart on this when I realized how much this applied to me. So it might apply to you, and you might all be running way ahead of me on this, and if you are, God bless you, pray for me. But here's the thing. We have this attitude like, okay, God gives you my paycheck, and he does give you your paycheck, by the way, because he gave you the health, he gave you the job, he gave you the way to get there, he gave you the life, the breath to use to do it, he gave you the time, God gave you your check, okay? So God gives you your check and says, here's 100% of your money. I want you to put 10% of it back into my kingdom to use as kingdom commerce, okay? And we go, oh, okay, God, no problem. And that's a wrestling thing for some of us, but eventually we get there, right? And we grow to that place, and then we say, God, I give you your 10%, and then we don't even consult them with the other 90%. The other 90% is ours. It's mine. I earned it. I'll spend it the way I want to. God's like, no, 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 no. I want all of it. It's all mine. I gave it all to you. I am the master. You are the steward. I will show you how to use it. I will tell you what to do. Proverbs is part of that. It's about giving you the wisdom to know how to make the right decisions. It's part of God showing you that. Well, life is that way as well. Everything. We should not have a bifurcated view. This is God's stuff. This is my stuff. It's all God's stuff. So when God says, in all your ways acknowledge me, he means everything. Just visually think about it. If your right hand is everything that belongs to God and your left hand is everything that belongs to you, be honest. How much stuff's in this left hand? If I'm honest, my hand's got about 40% of the things in my world are in my left hand. And the I got this God, stay out of my business, I can handle it category. Now I'm trying to change that and by God's grace I will in time, hopefully before I die, but, but I'm, I'm working on it. We all are. What's supposed to happen though is this category here, the God's got this category, should be full and our category should be completely empty. Everything should be in God's category. That's the goal. That's what we want to be. That's what all means. And it says acknowledge him. Now, this is so easy. Oh, my goodness. It's so easy. Uh, especially for you married folks. You're going to understand this really well. Because the word all, all, uh, acknowledge in Hebrew 
is the word yada, and it means to know. You know what I mean? Like knowing in a biblical sense. Like Abraham knew Sarah, and they had a baby. S-E-X. I'm sitting blank stairs. I'm like, I need someone to acknowledge me. Please, I feel like I'm out on a limb here. Acknowledge means to know intimately, and, the, and it's the same word that is used for the intimate relations of a couple that are married that produces children. It's that kind of an intimacy that God wants to have with us. Now, God is spirit, so, so there are limits on that, and it's harder to do, but it comes in the form of the relationship. God says, he says, um, he says, uh, acknowledge me in everything. Now, how do you do that? We're going to bring this thing to an end here in just a minute, but I won't. so we're going to land the plane. But as we're getting ready to land, I want you to hear this. How do you acknowledge God? Well, you pray. Not the Santa Claus prayers. Lord, give me this, give me that. Bless this, bless that. Those are nice. Those are for children. You're adults. Real prayers. Father, change my heart. Grow me to be more like Jesus. Lord, we pray for an outpouring of your spirit in Cheney. We pray for uh, many souls to be saved. Lord, pray in God's will for your life. Start with the Lord's Prayer. That's a great place to start. And just take every statement. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's a praise. Lord, hallowed be your name. You are my God, my King, my shield, my source. My, you are amazing. You're beautiful. You're my creator, my deliverer. You're excellent. You're my Father. You're good. You're holy. And just start shouting out his praises to him. And worship is the same thing. You can worship that way or you can sing to God. Read your Bible a lot. Listen, let me give you a little help on this Bible reading assignment you have, because some of you are feeling guilty this morning because you didn't read it, but you didn't want to say you didn't read it. And so technically that's a lie. But the Lord's not judging. You're not being judged on that. But just be real about it with yourself and with God. Lord, my church is doing this. I want to be a part of my church. I missed out on it this week. I didn't do it. Please forgive me. I want to repent from that. And then start doing it. But don't let me put guilt on you. Go get Bible Is, the app, or download the ESV Bible and just have it play for you and let it speak to you. And then while you're walking around the house, maybe you're running a vacuum or doing something else, let the Word of God be, be ministering into you through your ears and listening to it. And partic- you don't have to make it a big thing. You know, it just can just be just reading the Bible. Put one in your bathroom. I guarantee you, you will be in the bathroom enough this week to read through seven or eight chapters of, of Proverbs. Right? Hey, I went, I went to seminary in the bathroom. My children thought I had intestinal problems because I was in there so much. I was like, no, there's nothing wrong with me. You people wouldn't leave me alone. I had to go someplace to read. I was going to fail out of my classes. All right. Practice spiritual disciplines. And this is the focus of the disciplines is always Jesus. It's not the discipline. So you fast to fast to get closer to Jesus. You don't fast to lose weight or for the purpose of conquering fasting. Well, I fasted 17 days. You only fasted three. I'm a better Christian than you. If you're not closer to Jesus, you wasted your time. You should have had the stake, okay? You had a mistake instead. Um, practice silence. Practice meditating. Practice um, pra- meditating on the Word. Practice militant thanksgiving. <clears throat> Let me bring this to a head now. If we acknowledge God in all our ways, God's saying he's got this. Acknowledge all. See, if we acknowledge God in all our ways, we can... We're starting to have a rapport here. I just gave her a nod this time. 
By, if I preach here for a couple of weeks, I would be like this. I'd just be like, glance over and you'd know it's time to come up and play. It'd be so slick. So maybe, but, but Pastor Mark's coming back, so that probably won't happen, but you never know. <laughs> what is that? If something awful happens, you guys are like, what did you say? <laughs> Who is this man? <laughs> in all seriousness, though, if we, know, if we acknowledge God in all of our ways, there's some great things that are going to happen. Some powerful things that are going to happen in your life. You see, you're going to have the confidence in knowing that you're good with God in every way. How many of you want that? Don't you ever wonder, am I good with God? Are we okay? You're going to have the confidence in knowing I'm okay with God. Man, that's something that is a treasure worth having. And when we have this, when we acknowledge God in all our ways, when we trust on him and trust him with all of our hearts, we don't lean on our understanding, we have this peace that comes from knowing that we're working with God and moving in the same direction as God. You know, sometimes it can feel like the whole world is blowing against you. And a power, if you've ever stood in the ocean, you know how weak you truly are when a wave just washes you off your feet. All the waves, by the way, pretty much can do that. You have no concept of what it means to be totally out of control uh, until you've been out of control. But we can know that if we're with God, no matter what the world says, we are strong in him. We're, we're standing with him and we have the strength to stand against the tides of the world and the waves of the world and the winds of the world. We have the joy when we trust the Lord with all our heart, lean not on our own understanding, acknowledge him in all our ways. We have the joy that comes from knowing that no matter what the circumstances, we are right where God wants us to be. You know, when I moved to Spokane with my family, I was sick or injured for two years straight. I spent two years, almost 90% of the time, off of my feet, in the house, looking out the window. You get to know yourself. People from Sacramento said, you missed God. You did not hear from God. You should have moved. You should move. Just move back. Come back to your cushy life. Your wife can get her good job back. You can get your good job back. You have your reputation here. People will hire you to preach. You can do all, all that stuff. But I had the confidence in knowing that though I am off my feet and I am suffering, sick for the first time in my life, injured like this for the first time in my life, where it just has no end in sight, I had the confidence in knowing that I was where God was. It didn't come at first. There was a dark night of the soul, let me tell you. We have a little extra time because we're the third service. I'll tell you a little secret. There was a point in that process when I became so depressed and sad. I wasn't suicidal, but I mean, I certainly understood why people in their lives. I was like, I can see why you would just want to check out and be done. And all I could hear is my mom's voice in my head. If you ever kill yourself, they win. I don't know who they are, but I'll be doggone if they're going to win. And so, but I was so depressed. I mean, I just, and I was like, well, this is my life now. It's you, my, my wife has to take care of me which is humiliating as a man. My kids, my son's in his high school years. He needs to see his dad working hard, being a man, lifting weights, you know, fixing the cars, doing things. And he has no example like that because I'm in, off my feet. And it was hard. And at the lowest moment, when I was at that point where I was like, I don't want anybody's help. I don't want to hear from anybody. I don't want to hear nothing. 
got in bed that night. It was probably one or two in the morning because when you don't do anything, you're not tired. My wife, she spoons up behind me. She's crying. I can hear her crying, but she doesn't say a word to me about it. And she says, I wonder how many scriptures I have memorized. And I thought, I could care less how many scriptures you have memorized. And she starts to speak. Trust in the Lord your God with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He will make straight your path. She went on for probably 30 minutes quoting scriptures she had memorized. Something in the speaking of the word, something in me broke. Something that was not good broke. And this flood of God's love began to pour into me. And the presence of his spirit and the next part of that journey, I didn't get better for a long time. But the next 18 months of that journey became a time of resting in God, of knowing that I was in the right place, of hearing from him, of having my soul ministered to by the Holy Spirit, of coming to terms with the fact that if I never do anything with the rest of my life, if I am curled up in a ball on this couch for the rest of my existence on this miserable earth, that I will be enough for God. He will still have my picture on his refrigerator because I'm his favorite. He will still love me. And when I get to heaven, he will still say, well, good, done, good and faithful servant. And when I came to terms with that, and recognized that though I come to him totally broken with nothing, I am enough. Life was transformed. There was a whole new awakening that began in my life, a new journey, a new relationship with the Lord. Things that mattered to me, knowledge, and, and, and being, I wanted to be the smartest guy and know the most stuff and have the most stuff memorized, and suddenly I didn't care. I just wanted Jesus like never before. I just wanted to be in his word like never before. I just wanted to pray. I just wanted to practice spiritual disciplines just for the sake of getting close to Jesus. Everything changed. And I want you to know, in that knowledge, in that act of trusting God, of just being who he called you to be, where he called you to be, and knowing confidently that you are where he wants you to be, those kinds of things can happen for you too. I'm not special. I'm not unique. I'm just a guy who went through some stuff. You might be going through some stuff too. I want you to know Jesus loves you. You're God's favorite. He's got your picture on his fridge. He has not forgotten about you. You are always on his heart. And he always wants to be involved in every little detail of your life. When we trust the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and acknowledge him in all our ways, he gives us the courage to stand when our culture says, don't say those words. Don't offend me with your gospel. Don't live that weird Christian life. How dare you? You're obnoxious. You hurt me. He gives you the, he gives you the strength to stand firmly planted on the rock. And he gives us hope. That was the thing that got me through my season of testing was hope. Without hope, there's nothing. And he gave us hope that came from, he gave me a hope that came from knowing how little I am but how big God is. That's part of when we, when we trust the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Well, I'm mixing up two verses, but it's better. I improved the Bible. 
when we lean out on our understanding, in all our ways submit to him, and we make our paths, he will make our path straight. When we do that, he gives us that hope. He's so big. He's got it all under control. Everything. And he wants to be involved in every aspect of your life. Yes, guys, even that aspect. I know what you're thinking. If not, who is he? He's not limited in any way. So let me re-quote this to you or give you another, a final summary of this passage. It says, Our God, who is exceedingly loving and good, all-knowing, all-powerful, omnibenevolent. That means he's all good all the time. He wants us to use our gifts and talents to go out into this world and to reflect his light and to do what's right and good. And along the way, he wants us to stay close to him like a bear hug close, that close. He wants us to hold his hand tightly and he wants us to give him full veto power on everything we do. He just wants to be with us. This morning, as we come to a close here, I just want to acknowledge that there are some people here that are going through some stuff. And we spoke on it a minute ago. And that's not prophetic. Everybody's going through something. Everybody has a habit, a hurt, a hang-up, a situation. Everybody is. I want to minister to you in this moment just for a second. I just want to tell you, you are not forgotten. You are not overlooked. You are not devalued. God sees you. God loves you. If you were washed again in the blood of the Lamb, if you were born again, if you were covered in the righteousness of Christ, He's working in your life for His glory and for your good. And everything that you might even hate right now, God will use to minister to someone else through you, to do a good, to benefit someone else, to... to, to transform you into the person you need to be for the next phase of your journey. Because we're all on a journey. So let's just pray for a moment about those things.